So for those who have uh, been in attendance for the last few weeks, you'll know that I'm preaching from notes just for the next few weeks. Normally, I just kind of roll with it. Uh, but I'll be preaching from notes because the sermons are going to be around our Mishkan Devi tenets of faith, what we believe. Uh, we have 12 tenets of faith at Mishkan Devi. You can go on our website, and they're all bulleted out, and they're all summarized very nicely. These are the important aspects of our faith. There are many aspects of the faith, our faith, our faith in Messiah, our faith in God, that theologians can debate. Uh, so we didn't put those aspects into the tenets of faith. We wanted to put into the specific things that are really immovable, immutable, and just so everybody knows what we believe. Because we're kind of a, a hodgepodge here, aren't we? We have a, people from a lot of different backgrounds that come in. So it's important to know when people come from either Jewish backgrounds or Christian backgrounds or the various denominations, okay, what do you believe here in this place? So just taking a little time, take a step back, a little breather, and to give sermons sort of word for word uh, that I'll be reading on the details of these tenets of faith uh, that are bulleted out on our website. Uh, so after I complete the series, the sermons will be perpetually available uh, to anyone that wants to see them uh, to learn what we believe here at Mishkan David. Uh, if I can have the lights on up here to somebody that's back there, I would appreciate that. Thank you so much. So today, I'll be speaking of tenants number five and tenants number six. And they speak about the concepts and the, the topics of atonement and salvation. So if you recall, uh, the first Shabbat that I gave a message on our tenants, it was about... The Word of God, what the Word of God is, what the Word of God isn't. The one last week was Tenets 2 through 4, which was about God, about the Father, about the Son, about the Holy Spirit. And today, again, 5 and 6, which is about atonement and salvation. So to read the tenets as they are, it says, We believe that Yeshua's death and resurrection accomplished the atonement for all who would place their trust in him, whether Jew or Gentile. All who accept his substitutionary death as their personal atonement become a new creation and are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. And we have scriptures centered around that. The other tenant, the next tenant, is we believe salvation is by faith and trust through the grace of God alone, not by human efforts. We do not earn, merit, or maintain this eternal redemption by our own efforts or by the keeping of the commandments, the mitzvot of Torah. So we'll get into both. We'll get into atonement and we'll get into salvation. And I can see how excited you are. I just see it. Come on. All right. So first we'll get into atonement. So what is atonement after all? So we see the concept of atonement make its way into the Bible. We find it primarily in our Torah, in the books of Moses. And here's what happened. So when God rescued our people, our ancestors from Egypt, they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know right. They didn't know wrong. They didn't know left. They didn't know right. They didn't know up, they didn't know down. They didn't know good, they didn't know evil. They were enslaved, and they were deeply entrenched 
into the Egyptian ways. They forgot the ways of God. There were likely some people who knew God's ways through their personal connection with him and their personal relationship with him like Abraham did. Abraham knew the ways of God because he was a friend of God. And because of his unique relationship with God, he knew God's ways. And that's how people knew God. It was through personal relationship. But the high majority of the people at the time of the Exodus didn't really know any longer the ways of God. This is why God gave the Torah to his people Israel. When I see you yawn, I hear hallelujah. I don't care what you say. Here's, this is why God gave the Torah to his people Israel. Rather than showing his ways to just a select few that had a special relationship with him like Abraham, he revealed his ways to a whole nation in one shot. This was an entirely new thing, never seen or done before since, before the, since, since the foundations of the world, and something that is so revered in Judaism even to this day that God instructed a nation in one shot about his ways. It's an amazing thing that God did, speaking his ways from the mountain. Now, through this action, the entire nation would know, on paper, documented, sealed, what is right, what is wrong, what is sin, and what isn't sin. Everybody had the same instruction manual, finally. It wasn't just about individual relationship. Everybody had the instruction manual. Now, it didn't mean that people wouldn't sin. Of course, people would sin. In fact, within the Torah itself, it was understood that sin was going to happen. Even though God gave his ways, this is right, this is wrong, it was implied, it was known that people were still going to mess it up. Now, at the time of the writing of the Torah, the writing of the book of Romans wasn't done yet, right? That was pretty obvious. But the principle of Romans 3.23 still applied. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So within the laws themselves, God provided a way to address sin. And over the course of the beautiful Jewish year that's listed out here in the Bible, people messed up, they broke the law, they went to trial, guilty were punished, innocent were absolved, people repented, they tried to make things right, they brought their sacrifices daily to acknowledge their guilt, they brought their sacrifices to make peace with God, they brought their sacrifices to expiate their sins, all of this occurred daily. Cases were daily. Repentance was daily. Sacrifice was daily. It was part of the daily Israeli life. You caught the rhyme, huh? But none of it really provided true and complete atonement. Atonement is where our sins are just completely and utterly erased put down to the bottom of the sea, put as far as the east is from the west. A complete and full forgiveness when sins are erased, washed away as if they were never committed. This day-to-day -day daily Israeli life of repenting and giving sacrifices and cases and repenting and giving sacrifices and doing right, and do, none of that affected such an amazing and utter and complete atonement. For this special type of atonement, 
when all sins are washed away, God created and instituted a special day. And the day is called the day of atonement. In Hebrew, Yom Kippur. There are many differences between what happens on this day and every other day of the daily Israeli life. This day was very different. A couple of reasons. Number one, atonement for Israel on this day is not made by the people. Yes, they had to afflict themselves and they had to be sorry and repent. But atonement, it says in Leviticus 16.32, the priest who is anointed shall make the atonement. I want you to get that. This amazing level of forgiveness is affected not by the people, not by their good deeds, not by their repentance. It's affected by the high priest. He does the job to bring forth atonement for the people. Very, very important. It's done by the high priest. It's not done by the people. Number two, this is also very different. All of the sins of Israel, all of them, from the big sins to the little sins to the unintentional sins, all of them are transferred onto another thing. In this case, a goat. They're transferred onto this goat, and the goat is taken outside the camp. None of the daily Israeli sacrifices are spoken of in this way when sins are actually transferred, spiritually transferred on an innocent being and sent away. This is an entirely new thing, unique to this day of atonement, where all the sins are transferred and born, born on another entity, in this case, a goat, and taken outside the camp. And number three, this atonement, unlike the daily Israeli life, this atonement was so utterly complete, it's immediately, fo immediately followed by the most joyous celebration on the Jewish calendar, the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, which is the one the holiday that signifies and commemorates God dwelling with his people and us being with the Lord forever. It happens after the atonement. The atonement is so complete that God makes his presence with his people. And that's the celebration of Sukkot. It happens after that atonement, the, the holiday that commemorates God dwelling with man and commemorates the kingdom of God itself. This day of Yom Kippur, does everybody understand a little bit more about Yom Kippur, about this day of atonement? This day foreshadows the atonement brought to us by Yeshua. Number one, the same ways. It's not our work. It's the work of Yeshua. It's the work of the high priest. Number two, just as the sins of the people were transferred onto a goat in the days of the temple, our sins are transferred onto him. It's the same thing. It's this other, that other entity that bore our sins. He took our sins upon himself. Isaiah 53 says he bore our sins. 1 Peter 2.24 says he bore our sins in his body on the tree. That transference of all of our sins onto him, that's what happens. It is a fulfillment of Yom Kippur. And Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, which is very much centered around Yom Kippur after the temple was destroyed, reminds us that the high priests needed to go into the Holy of Holies and do this function every year, every year to perform this atonement before atonement was made. 
Yeshua goes in once. Yom Kippur is a yearly ceremony when the priest does this every year. It's sort of the culmination of the year, and then we celebrate after. But it happened year after year after year. The book of Hebrews in chapter 9 specifies that atonement wasn't as full as it could be because it had to be repeated. With Yeshua, it was done once and for all. Once for all time. This is the new covenant. This is the better covenant, as Hebrews 8, 6 calls it. It calls it a better covenant. You know, it's a mistranslation or a misunderstanding to think that the better covenant is like the Torah itself is done away with. And now it's like the new covenant or the Old Testament, the New Testament. It's not that. The book of Hebrews is talking about the sacrificial system. And Yeshua's sacrifice to bring atonement is the better covenant. That's the new covenant. It doesn't do away with God's trans. His, his, what he says is what's right and what's wrong. It's that Yeshua's sacrifice is the full, it's the full culmination of all of these things. It is what brings full atonement and full forgiveness. Just like the day of atonement foreshadowed that Yeshua's is the fulfillment of it. It is no coincidence that one generation, this is historical fact, it's no coincidence that one generation after Yeshua died on the cross, that the temple, the place where the high priest went in, was destroyed. The temple functions, as they are written, are no longer needed. They're fulfilled in what Yeshua did on the cross. It's interesting in the Jewish literature called the Talmud, it lists various supernatural events that used to occur in the temple, which stopped happening, it says, 40 years prior to its destruction. And do the math. The temple was destroyed in the year 70. What was 40 years before that? Around the time of Yeshua's death. The Talmud actually specifies that around that time, the miracles that used to happen in the temple, that, that they used to witness and see, stopped happening. It's incredible. So how do we receive this amazing level of atonement that is so full and so complete. How do we receive such a thing? Well, first, we do have to repent. We have to acknowledge that we have sin that needs to be taken care of. It's not just, all right, I'm going to believe to get a free pass. We have to acknowledge. We have to recognize that we mess up. We have to recognize that our, 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 our tendency is to sin. We have to recognize that we have a sinful nature within us. 2 Peter 3.9, long after Yeshua died and rose, Peter wrote, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but patient towards you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Repentance. We still need to repent of our sins. We still need to repent of our sins. This is very, very important. We have to be hum always be humble and always be broken before God to say, you know what? I am messed up. I, I do it wrong and I do it wrong and I'll continue to do it wrong. And we must acknowledge that from a place of humility. We have to repent and recognize that we have sinned and we are sinners and we have a sinful nature. But then to enact this amazing level of atonement that Yeshua provided, all we have to do is believe it. All we have to do is by faith believe 
that Yeshua on that cross took those sins as a priestly function, just like we see in Yom Kippur. He took the sins upon himself. They were transferred from you onto him, and he put him on the cross, took it with him, and dealt with it once and for all. All we have to do is just simply believe it and have faith that he did this. That yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I messed up. And I believe that my sins went on the Messiah, on the cross. And if we just believe that and receive it in faith, that level of atonement is enacted for you. That amazing highest level of atonement, complete forgiveness is enacted for you. We just have to believe that he did it and it's activated. We just have to believe he did it and it's activated. It says in John 316, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Acts 10 verse 43 said, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Acts 13, 38 and 39 says, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Yeshua, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. I love that scripture because there are sins in the laws of Moses that there ain't no forgiveness for. Like, you do it, you're dead. But Acts here says that even them you can have forgiveness for if we believe that he took it upon himself and we repent of it. It's amazing. The level of forgiveness, the level of atonement is the highest level of atonement that God has ever provided, ever and ever will. The belief that our sins went on to the Messiah himself. I don't want you to leave this teaching without fully knowing that Yeshua, in that high priestly functions, takes sins of the world upon himself. Recognize that you do have sin, that you are broken, and that God, all the way from the times of Moses, provided a way for sins to be dealt with, to be eradicated, over and above our ability to repent and repent again and repent again and to do right by ourselves. This is why Yom Kippur is a work of the high priest more so than it's a work of us. Recognize that you need that atonement far beyond your own abilities to secure it. This, by the way, is Torah 101. I believe that Messianic Judaism is the most authentic Judaism because we have a high priest that provides atonement. With the destruction of the temple, Judaism does not have a high priest in that function making atonement. So Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, becomes a day of repentance and a day of fasting and sort of enacting your own atonement. And ain't nothing wrong with repenting and fasting. We're supposed to do that. We can do that. We can do it even on Yom Kippur. But the atonement is provided by the high priest, not us. This is why Messianic Judaism is the most biblical, the most authentic Judaism that is out there. We have a high priest. I don't want you to leave here without knowing that your sins can be fully abolished, fully absolved, now and forevermore, with one single simple action on your part. Just believe that Yeshua did it.
And remember when I said that Yom Kippur is followed by the most joyous holiday that celebrates God dwelling with man, that celebrates the kingdom of God? Doesn't it make so much sense that when you receive the atonement provided by Yeshua, you have a promise to dwell with him forever? Yom Kippur, Feast of Tabernacles, atonement, dwelling with him, dwelling with him forever. It's all there in the books of Moses. When you do, when you receive his atonement, you are sealed for what tenant number six speaks of, which is salvation. Hebrews 9.28 says, Messiah, also having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation, without reference to sin, to those who eagerly await him. I hope everybody here understands what atonement is. This amazing gift of forgiveness and atonement provided by Yeshua. It's foundational. I don't want anybody leaving here or even hearing this sermon later on without fully understanding that you, like me, like everyone, are broken and messed up, and the Torah provides the way, and it's Yom Kippur, it's the Day of Atonement. We need a high priest to provide that atonement, and Yeshua is the high priest who took those sins upon himself. Always know that, know that, know that. So, once we receive that atonement, we are, quote-unquote, saved. So what is salvation? What does it mean to be saved? You know, when you hear the word saved, surely we're saved from something. You don't normally hear that you're saved without, real, without thinking you're saved from something. So what are we saved from and what are we saved to? I mean, in the Bible, you could be saved from many things. Psalm, 51, Psalm 59, King David writes, save me from my enemies. Uh, Psalm 51, he writes, deliver me from my own guilt. Psalm 120, Psalm 120, verse 2, he says, save me from lying lips. There's many things we could be saved from. So what are we saved from when we say that we are saved? You know, some of these terms that we use are just can become so commonplace to us. We're saved, we're saved, we're saved, but we don't really understand maybe exactly what it means. And especially when we're talking to others who aren't of the faith, they have no idea what you're talking about, right? Do you realize that we have this, like, vernacular, we have this way of talking that's, like, very for believers, you know? And sometimes, like, you know, the, the people outside the faith won't even know what you're talking about. So what does it mean that, that you're saved, and what are you saved from? So we're not saved through, I'm sorry, we're not saved from physical tribulation. We're not saved from problems. We're not saved from a tough life sometimes. Even the disciples, the apostles, they were martyred. They weren't saved from wicked people coming after them. The salvation we have in Yeshua is very, very different from the salvation we have from worldly enemies or even from our, old, our own ailments, which we may or may not be saved from. This salvation is spiritual. It's a salvation that's prophesied in the book of Joel. Joel 2, verse 31 and 32 speaks about an end times move of God when he pours his wrath out on humanity. And it says the sun will be, in 31 and 32, it says the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. 
And it will come about that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is quoted by Peter also in Acts chapter 2. So when the New Testament says that we are saved, we are saved from God's wrath when he does pour it out on this world. This is in the plainest sense of what salvation is. When we have the atonement from Yeshua's sacrifice, we are saved from the wrath of God. It says in Romans 5, 9, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? It's listed very clearly. 1 Thessalonians 1, 10, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Yeshua, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That is what we are saved from. Colossians 1, 13 to 14 says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, clearly, salvation, living a saved life, living out our salvation is much more than just avoiding his wrath And it's much more than an end times promise, obviously. Being saved and living out a saved life is living the fullness of what God has for you in the Holy Spirit. That's living out your salvation. But what salvation is, at its core, it's in Hebrew, the peshat, the the plain sense. Salvation is that we are saved from God's wrath when he pours it out. When he executes his judgment on wicked, the wicked people, we're saved from it because he doesn't see us anymore. He sees his son covering us. Yom Kippur, the word Kippurim, Kippur, actually means covering. God doesn't see us. He sees him. He sees Yeshua. So we could pass over. This is why the angel of death passed over the house. They didn't see the house. They saw the blood. It's all there in the Torah. The Hebrew word for salvation is Yeshua, Jesus. In the beginning of the book of Matthew, in the gospel of Matthew, when the angel said, he shall be called Jesus because he will save many from his sins, it doesn't make sense in the English. Because what does the actual English name Jesus or even his Greek name have to do with saving people from their sins? It's only bringing it back into Hebrew. Does it even make any sense? They will call his name Yeshua because he will save. It's the only way it makes sense is bringing it back to his original, his original name, his true name, Yeshua. Again, it doesn't mean that we avoid other troubles. Yeshua, in fact, promised that we will have tribulation. But when God pours his wrath out on humanity, we're covered. And we're saved from that. And this is what we are saved from. And what are we saved into? Or what are we saved to? It's interesting. There's a a narrative in the Gospels in Matthew 19, 24 to 25, when Yeshua said, Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So he's talking about entering the kingdom of God entering the kingdom of God. And the disciples, when the disciples heard this, they were very astonished, and they said, who can be saved? So we see a connection between being saved, but also entering into the kingdom of God. What are we saved from? What are we saved into? We're saved from God's wrath, and we're saved into his kingdom. I know you're loving this. I I know you're loving it. 
I just know it. I can smell it. All right. Here we see salvation not only meaning escaping God's wrath, but entering into his kingdom. And we don't need to wait for his coming to enter into his kingdom. Yeshua said the kingdom is in the midst of you right now. The kingdom is not just future. It is future. But it's not just future. It's right now. So when we receive his atonement by acknowledging that he's the high priest and he took our sins upon himself, we're saved. We enter into the kingdom of God. Yes, in the future, but also right now. The kingdom of God is right now. And we get to be a part of that right now. Right now. So how are we saved? We spoke about it already. Acts 4, verse 12 says, there is, Nor is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This verse makes it clear. Jew and Gentile can only find salvation in Yeshua. There is no other way around it. We don't earn merit or maintain our eternal redemption by our own efforts or by keeping the commandments the mitzvot of torah we put in put that in explicitly i get the question a lot do we maintain our salvation by our own righteous living i get that question a lot like we understand that our salvation and our atonement is the grace of God. We give the faith, he gives the grace. We understand that. But what about moving forward in life? Are, do we maintain our own salvation through our works, through our righteous living? I get asked this question fairly frequently. Now, let me be perfectly clear. We are instructed all throughout the New Testament, all throughout the writings of the apostles, that we are supposed to live. The expectation is we're going to live godly lives after we're saved. I hope everybody agrees with that and everybody understands that. That salvation is not, is not an excuse to live any way we want. God wants us to live a life according to his ways, according to the definition of what he says is righteous. And through having the Holy Spirit within us, God will teach us step by step on how to live a way that's pleasing to him. The New Testament is clear that salvation is not an excuse to keep sinning. It's all throughout the New Testament. 1 Peter 1, 14-16, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. For as he, for as he who called you holy... You also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Titus 2, verse 11 to 12 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. But even as we live godly lives, and we do our best to live in a way that's pleasing to him. As we walk out our salvation, it is not from that that we maintain salvation. It's not from that that we inherit the kingdom. Maintaining our salvation cannot be from us. 
Yes, we maintain, we keep a holy life. We do our best to live a holy life. We say, God, you're, we believe that your word is the way to go. That's the way to go. The world has 800,000 ways to go. We believe that your word is the way to go. Help me to do it. I know I mess up. I know I'm broken. I know I'll sin and I keep sinning. But give me a humble heart, Lord, to follow your ways. If we do that, that is still not what merits our salvation. It's always grace. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. If it winds up being, I'm saved through grace, but now I, gotta, now I'm, I continue my salvation from my own righteousness, well, I guess you can boast again. But the scripture says very clearly, it's always, always, always about what Yeshua did. It's not about us. It doesn't mean we don't live a righteous life. We have to live a righteous life. We have to do our best to live a righteous life and be passionate for that. But that's not why we are saved. Can we lose our salvation? I get this question a lot. Like, let's say we accept the Lord. We accept his sacrifice. We accept his atonement. We receive God. We receive his Holy Spirit. And then we... Go the other way and stay the other way. Losing your salvation is a debatable thing in the body of Messiah. There's, there's debate, and there's verses for and against it. The verse for it is from Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. It says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Once they again crucify themselves, to themselves, the Son of God, and put him to open shame. That's what it says in Hebrews 6. But the verse against it is, one of them is from John 10, 28 to 29, when Yeshua said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them from my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them from my Father's hand. So that's kind of proof that we never lose. If we truly are his, we will never lose that. That's proof of that. Why don't we have a, a, a statement in our tenets of faith about can you lose your salvation, yes or no? Because it's debatable. And listen, perhaps the ones that denied Yeshua and never come back to him. Maybe they were never saved to begin with. Remember the ones who prophesied in Yeshua's name and said, Lord, Lord? Said, we prophesied in your name. We performed miracles in your name. We cast out demons from your name. Yeshua said, Department, depart from me. I never knew you. He didn't say, I used to know you, but now don't. He said, I never knew you. So maybe if somebody leaves, leaves the faith, maybe they were never saved to begin with. This is a mystery that I don't know the answer to. But what are we supposed to take from this? What we're supposed to take from this is we're not supposed to take our salvation lightly. We're supposed to desire to live a godly life. We all sin. Uh, is there a threshold when we can lose salvation? Maybe, but I got to tell you on a personal level, I will never, ever judge this. Ever. And let me tell you why. There's a scripture, there's a parable that Yeshua spoke, and we all know it. It's about the wheat and the tares. Right? Where there's this field of wheat, and all of a sudden tares or weeds start to grow. And then the workers are like, Lord, do you want us to rip out the weeds? And what did the Lord say? Leave it. If you rip out some weeds, you might take some, the weeds or the tares, you might take out some wheat as well. 
What does that tell me? We don't know the difference. We can't tell. We think we can, but we don't. It says, leave it be. The reaper will take care of it in the end. Baruch Hashem, I don't need to judge anybody's salvation. And listen, let's just be real here and just from the heart. If there's an on-fire believer that goes into sin or forsakes the Lord or whatever it is, do we see it from God's perspective anyway? How do we know if what they're doing is unintentional? Maybe God knows their broken heart. Maybe God sees something in, in, in people who have fallen away that we don't see. Maybe he sees their brokenness. Maybe he sees what they're going through. Maybe he will have mercy. Remember, Yeshua on the cross said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And it says in another place that he's interceding for us. How do you know he's not up there going, Father, forgive them? They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We cannot judge salvation or not salvation or if somebody's fallen away for good. And God is in all time at the same time. We only see right now. We don't know if 10, 20, 30, 50 years, whatever. We don't know. God knows. God knows. So can you lose your salvation or not lose your salvation? I'm not making a stance on that. What I will make a stance on is that we need to be passionate for righteousness. We need to do our best. We really, really do to live a righteous life, to be humble, to be repentant when we messed up, when we mess up. Um, and that's where God wants us to be. Remember, in 1 Corinthians 5, 5, Paul said to a sexual sinner, somebody that was in deep, deep sexual sin, like really, really bad sexual sin. He said, I decided to turn such a person over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. In other words, I'm going to cast him out of, of the community. Let Satan deal with him. In other words, Satan is going to be released and allowed to mess with his life to bring this person to a place of humility and repentance. That's what it means. But we still see so his soul can be saved. We don't see he did this, he's cast out, and he's no longer saved. God wants us to grow in our righteousness, to be led by his spirit and his word into righteous living. But no, I won't make a congregational stance on once saved, always saved, or not. But I will say this, and this is something I do feel strongly about. There are those that walk around, they live out their salvation in fear of losing it. Of fear that they've crossed some threshold or line when God is saying, that's it. One too many times, you're no longer saved. I want to tell you in the name of the Lord that that is not your portion. I want to tell you in the name of the Lord that that is not what God wants for you, to live in fear of losing your salvation. That's the enemy telling you, I want you to know that. You don't need to live that way. Yeah, fear God and like awe God. Recognize and fear sin in that way. You know, we want to live righteously. But no, do not walk around like, oh my gosh, I messed it up again. Now I'm going to hell. God does not want you to be burdened and to walk around with the burden that, oh my gosh, now I've lost my salvation because I messed up. Just have a humble heart. Just have a humble heart. Walk with him in the spirit. We do the best we can. Everybody messes up. Don't let that 
concept be a burden to you, like, oh my gosh, if I do this, I'm going to lose my salvation. That, I tell you, is not of the Lord. It's not. So in conclusion, to read the tenets again, we believe that Yeshua's death and resurrection accomplished the atonement for all who would place their trust in him, whether Jew or Gentile. All who accept his substitutionary death as their personal atonement become a new creation and are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. We believe salvation is by faith and trust through the grace of God alone, not by human efforts. We do not earn, merit, or maintain this eternal redemption by our own efforts or by keeping of the commandments, the mitzvot of God. So atonement is our complete forgiveness of our sins. Salvation means we're saved from God's wrath and we're sealed for the kingdom of God, both now and forever. If you don't know Yeshua, when we open up for prayer, please come down and I strongly encourage you, if you've never given your life to the Messiah and say, I am a sinner, I do mess it up. So here's, here's what's going to happen in the end. We all ultimately get judged, all of us. So we have two options. The Bible gives us two options. One, we could stand before God on our own merits. We can do it. You can choose to do it. You can choose to stand before God on your own merit. How well you did, how well you didn't, all these things. You can go on your own and roll those dice. Or you can go before God on the merit of the Messiah based on what he did and say, I don't want to put my trust in, what I, in my own righteousness. I put my trust in the Messiah's righteousness. Those are our two choices in the judgment. We face God on our own merit or his merit. The choice is yours. I strongly, strongly encourage you to have the brokenness and the humility to say, I want to go on his merit, not mine. And if you feel that way and you've never done it, all you need to do is just believe it. Believe that he died for you. Believe that he went up when he was on the cross, your sins. It says he died for the sins of the whole world. But it needs to be activated by faith. So all you need to do is believe that Yeshua died for you, that your sins went upon him, and you will be set free. You will be atoned for, and you will be saved, and you will enter into the kingdom of God. I strongly encourage you to do that if you haven't before. In Yeshua's name, amen.